I'm Latif McLeod. You're about to hear the story I produced as Making Contact's first ever community storytelling fellow. In this story, you will hear my perspective as a person who uses AAC and how I interact with the community. I hope you enjoy the segment. If you want to support this fellowship so that others get to tell their stories like I did, go to radioproject.org forward slash crowdfunding. Making, making contact. Making, 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 making contact. I'm George Lavender, and you're listening to Making Contact. If you're a regular listener, you know we focus a lot on what people say. But on this program, we're going to be listening more to how they say it. This show is all about voice, what our voices say about us, and about the society we live in. We begin with the story of someone who nearly lost one voice and found their true voice in the process. Let me lend you a hand Let me lend you a hand If you're afraid I'll help you stand Let me lend you a hand I remember a friend of mine told me after I performed that song um, she said, she's like, you know, men don't ever write songs like that. And I'm like, well, this is after I, I had come out to her, but not out to the world. And I was like, well, that's because I'm not a man. But um... I'll take the pain. Let me ease your strain. My name is Maya Byrne. Uh, my pronouns are she and hers. Um, and I'm an openly transgender woman from New York City. I'm a singer songwriter, a guitar player, and a poet. The song that we've just heard is called Lend You a Hand, which I wrote in a plowed over cornfield in Pomfrey, Connecticut uh, in 2010 and recorded for the last album I did under my old name. I didn't even realize uh, in when I was in the studio recording that song, I had, I had already suffered a massive vocal hemorrhage. So for many years, being that I thought I was a, you know, a, a rough and tumble, whiskey drinking, you know, boy, um, I lived that lifestyle uh, pretty, pretty severely. I was a bartender and I smoked cigarettes and um, I drank a lot. <laughs> was it the letter I sent? Was it a when I listen back to the voice that I had on the first records I did with my band, The Ramblers, for instance, I'm singing almost a full octave lower than, than, my, than my current speaking and singing voice. And so for me, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's amusing to listen to it and sometimes it's difficult to listen to it because now what I hear is very obviously a woman trying to be a man because that's what she was told she was. and adjusting her voice to to do so and and not and so it, it's sometimes very painful to hear older recordings go back to texas leave me here with my loss i'm waiting for the train to cross waiting for the train to cross 
periodically I'd get laryngitis once in a while uh, when I was smoking. But there was a period where I got, in, between December 2011 and January 2012, I, I lost my voice four times. And, and each time I, I recovered, it took a couple of days off. The third time I realized something was wrong. Uh, and the fourth time it happened, just a few days after that, I'm like, something's really, really, really wrong. I went to um, a physician here in New York who scoped my throat and told me my throat was, was bleeding. The doctor put me on uh, steroids, which helped me out, and I started performing again, but then it 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 happened again a couple months later, and at that time I, I got a different consult with Dr. Seaman Zaitels up in Boston, who invented a new procedure which essentially cauterizes these little tiny um, vocal hemorrhages, these little tiny blood spots in your throat. He's performed the procedure on Stephen Tyler of Aerosmith and Adele, and I wound up getting the best medical care humanly possible for my condition. It took me at least six months to recover from, from just the surgery itself and the, the fact that when you're not talking, your muscles fatigue. So I wound up sequestering myself away for almost three months in the Catskills at a friend's little cabin. And I didn't know, I was praying so much that I would have a voice, that that Leonard Cohen song, um, If It Be Your Will, uh, that uh, kept going through my head constantly. I did not know if I was ever going to be able to sing again. If it be your will That I speak no more And my voice be still Being in that place, in that state of mind, really changes you. Um, having taken what is almost literally a vow of silence, um, it was a really life-changing moment because concurrently to my me losing my voice was right when I had my own self-realization about my need to transition. I remember one night on stage, I finally broke through that wall whatever was stopping me from from reaching my vocal potential just it, it just it just went away and i just remember this moment it almost felt like something popped and i was scared for a second but then i was like no my voice sounds great let me sing and so part of my process over the last two years has been completely rebuilding my voice from scratch which is a unique experience that of course, mirrors in many ways the time of my transition, but in in another ways, it's just it's not something everybody gets to do. It's it's a. I wouldn't necessarily say I'd want to do it again because it was really scary and and really hard to go through that. But at the same token, I, I've I've gotten this gift of being able to 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 change something about me that didn't necessarily fit right. And I've gotten to do that on several aspects of my life. And, uh, but with the voice in particular, it's funny, I, I, I didn't, I guess I really didn't think about that until right this moment, just how profound that, that shift is, that, that privilege of being able to actually rebuild my voice and, 
at least attempt to make it into something that more resembles the sound I hear in, in my mind of what my voice, my life should be. On the one hand, I, I've become more comfortable with it. On the other hand, it's very difficult when I hear my recorded voice to, to not hear anything except a mirror. And what I, I think for many trans people, the, the things that we see in ourselves or hear in ourselves don't necessarily reflect the reality of what we're projecting out into the world. It's hard for us because we've been told we aren't what we are to not see anything except the thing that we've been told we are. If you're afraid, I'll help you stand. Let me lend you a I try to take it day by day, and when I do listen to my voice, I try not to get down on myself too much because I'm always going to hear it and, and perceive it differently than anyone else. And sometimes, like when I look in the mirror now and sometimes I see the woman I actually am, sometimes I, I listen to my music and I hear the woman I actually am. And those brief glimpses when that happens is one of the most wonderful feelings in the world. And, I, and, it's, and it's very hard to get to that point, but crossing my fingers that that'll happen more often. You're the kind of a woman You make me want to love easy And if I could stop time I'd live forever this day There'll be more of Maya Burns' music and we'll be discussing voice and gender later in this program. But first, would you hang up on this voice? Hi, I would like to order a pizza, please. Making Context's first-ever community storytelling fellow, Latif McLeod, tells the story of his voice. We join Latif at a library in Oakland, California, where he's about to perform one of his poems. Whoa. This sharp clawing at the back of the neck. Loneliness clutching my throat. I suffocate from the emptiness I feel alone and invisible. My friends and family say they want to hang around me. I hear whispers of them in the breeze. This is my voice. It's also Ryan's voice. Ryan is the name of one of the male American voices that is on the app that I'm speaking to you on my iPad. This is one kind of augmentative and alternative communication that people with severe disabilities used to speak. This is what my actual voice sounds like. Hello. As someone with cerebral palsy, I use a speech-generating device, because it is a more efficient and reliable way for me to communicate with people than using my natural voice. Thousands of people now use speech-generating devices like mine to communicate. Dr. Sarah Blackstone helped introduce the first versions of speech-generative devices for people with severe speech disabilities. Well, I was among the old people, who are people who are now older, who were lucky enough to be there when this, I always thought of it as a civil rights issue, that people should have, all people should have the right to communicate. And it was up to us to find ways to support their access to communication. When I was little, I used a piece of cardboard with pictures on it to communicate. 
Before the late 1970s this was one of only a few possible ways people with severe speech and physical disabilities could communicate. Others have people that would speak for them. Bob Segelman uses what he calls his revoicers. I'm going to answer this question with my revoicer. All of my revoicers are instructed to repeat what I say. I like to joke, but I keep my vocal cords in my revoicer's body. When I was six, I got my first AAC device called the Touch Talker. Looking back, that first device sounded very robotic but it really changed my life because I was then able to be in a regular first grade class with able-bodied kids my age. It allowed me to say anything that was on my mind which was very liberating. My friend April Bryant remembers how her first device had the same effect. Well I was able to communicate more effectively and do my school work. As an adult, April prides herself of being independent in public using her AAC device. Like the other day when I was at Victoria's Secret and I needed help, the lady had to wait for my response which forced her to see someone use a communication device. She treated me pretty well. She had patience. Patience is... Essential. Patience is essential. That's how long it takes me to type a sentence. It makes it pretty hard when I'm out in public people won't wait for me to finish typing my message out or will ignore me because I am communicating with an electronic voice. It's particularly bad when I'm trying to make a phone call. Hello? Hi. I would like to order a large vegetarian pizza, please. This is for delivery, Did you do delivery? Yes. What's your phone number? Hello? Hello? Five. One. Engaging with the public is important because it challenges people's misconceptions about me and the barriers between us crumble. But sometimes, I just want to order a pizza. I can't use my $3,000 light writer as a paperweight. A tortoise tries to crawl a race with a bullet train. The word prediction capabilities. Don't shield me from the impatient faces that tap their toes. Their eyes always wander. Looking for the next novelty. They need patience. No device is technologically advanced enough to fully emulate what I would sound like if I did not have cerebral palsy. It feels like there's a disconnect between what my voice sounds like in my head and how my voice sounds to other people through my device. That's something April feels too. 
because it don't have attitude or personality. Maybe this is something everyone feels to a certain extent. Just think for a minute about how your own voice sounds in your head, and then the way it sounds to other people. But my cell phone goes deathly silent for hours in the day. Can't we just find a fiber optic way to hook my brain to the machine so my thoughts can be electronically voiced over 12-inch speakers? According to Samuel Sennett, assistant professor of special education at Portland University who developed the software I'm using right now, there are currently new programs under development that will make an AAC system sound closer to what my natural voice would sound like. Where they're taking the text-to-speech, computerized sounding text-to-speech voices, and then infusing them with different people's, you know, spirit, if you will, uh, but pieces of their voices. So maybe one day my device can show my emotions more, or, as April put it, represent who I am. However, no matter how natural the voices sound in the future we still need people to change their perceptions of people that use electronic voices or alternative forms of communication. This is how both Dr. Bob Segelman and April Bryant assert themselves so they are respected. Well I go out into the community a lot by myself. And I do that so people are forced to communicate with somebody who uses a communication device. When someone looks at my revoicer, I say, Would you please talk to me directly and look at me? Give me eye contact instead of to the other person. My way of challenging people is through my poetry. When I recite my poetry in front of an audience, I use words to open their eyes and make them see my humanity and how my experiences are relatable to their lives. So, I slowly break down the walls of misconception they have about me, using the power of my words. So we left with a clear wall, made of shards of ice and glass. I can see this barrier every day. The sun glinting off its clear reflection. Everyone acts as if it were not there. And does not see me cut my hand and feet. As I try to knock this wall down. I kick and punch until my feet and hands. Are oozing with blood. I yell myself hoarse like a bullfrog. But I cannot get my family and friends to get close to me. So they really know. My dreams, thoughts, desires, and feelings. I shiver behind this clear wall. And wait for someone to notice me. Wait for a chance to speak. Big thanks to Latif McLeod, Making Contact's first community storytelling fellow and the classiest impersonator I've met. This voice is quite good, mate, and it. Is that Michael Caine? You're listening to Making Contact. We'll be right back. Latif McLeod was Making Contact's first community storytelling fellow. 
To find out more about the fellowship and get a sneak peek of our future fellows, go to radioproject.org. That's also where you can check out Latif McLeod's blog, his poetry, and hear his version of Biggie's Ten Crack Commandments. When Laura Jane Grace, lead singer of the band Against Me, was asked on K-Rock FM why her voice hadn't changed after she underwent hormone replacement therapy as part of her gender transition, she responded with a question of her own. I think we, we, a lot of people would be expecting you to sound more like a woman. Uh, well, what does a woman sound like, you know? Um... And that's the question in our final story about voice. Meredith Toulousen reflects on her own voice among the voices of other trans women. Let's begin your practice video with a discussion about resonance. In this lesson, I want you to just begin to learn how to shape that by noticing a feeling of buzz in your face. This is Eva. Eva is an iPhone application designed to train transgender women's voices to sound more feminine. Trans women experience no significant changes to our vocal cords even when we take hormones. So the sound that reverberates in your mouth, nose, or throat is not a full, rich, big sound like your old voice, but starts to use some of those higher resonant overtones. Kind of complex, we'll get into more of that. For some, voice training like this app is a way to be perceived or to pass as someone who is not transgender. I've always had mixed feelings about voice training like this. I value my distinctive voice. People get really intimidated by voice stuff. That's Kathy Perez, a speech pathologist from Denver, Colorado, and one of the creators of the Eva app. I told her I was worried my voice would become generic if I use her app, that I would end up sounding like a female stereotype. But that's not how Kathy sees it. The approach to changing your voice so that it matches your gender identity and expression, the path is very similar for everybody, but we have our unique personalities and that's where it's different. I've been acting and performing since I was a kid and even starred in a TV show in the Philippines. So I didn't need much training to develop a voice that others perceived as belonging to a woman. Though I was deeply uncomfortable with the idea of hiding my trans status, or what's commonly called going stealth, Having a voice that sounded like other women allowed me not to be perceived as trans. It's really like second language learning. It is um, being bivocal, essentially, instead of being bilingual. To find out how other transgender women feel about their voices, I've come here to the 13th Philadelphia Transgender Health Conference, the largest in the country. My roommate for the weekend is Hannah Simpson, a first-year medical student from New Jersey. My voice is obviously a little bit deeper and more tonal than it could be, and I definitely want to have the greater fluctuation of voice that is natural to women, and so much of that is just listening to other women being in their company and picking up through mimicry that sort of experience. Hannah is at an early stage of transition. She is only now beginning to imagine a day when she would have the option not to disclose her trans status, and has been training her voice in anticipation. But the bottom line is... It's a work in progress, and I think a big part of it, too, is that the voice and the talking is just the one aspect of it. But then there's the oration, there's the giving of presentations, there's the singing, and wanting to be able to do all those things you could do before, and to not stand out on the line of women being the baritone, and to be able to be that successful alto or even a soprano one day. And those are goals, and are they attainable? I don't know, but they're the hope. You know, sometimes you feel like you're the girl with the very well-endowed asterisk. How trans women sound can determine how safe we are. Nika Jewell is a trans woman who prefers a genderqueer presentation, wearing androgynous clothes and close-shaven hair. 
but this preference has made her the victim of violence several times over the years. For Nika, altering her voice makes her feel safer. If I'm with someone that I feel comfortable with, I just tend to let my voice go and just speak as feels more natural. But if I'm feeling in a more threatened environment and a less safe environment, I will actually increase the, make a higher pitch and be a lot more conscious of how I sound. And what kind of pitch are you using now? Right now, this is normal. Uh, do you, can you, can you try to reproduce what you do? Hi, more like this, I suppose. It's just a little bit different, but it tends to pass a little bit better. I think it causes people to misgender me a little bit less, or to be able to accept me more as a woman in their eyes. Still, this more feminine voice is not the one Nika would prefer to use. I, I, well, it's pretty complicated because I feel like I'm being, I'm making myself slightly safer, but at the same time I'm doing that at the cost of just sounding like I do. Nika's story isn't unique. Many trans women consider voice the biggest barrier to being accepted as women, and spend a lot of time and money working on it. There are dozens of popular YouTube videos on the topic, voice coaches who specialize in training trans women, and highly successful apps such as Eva. Talking with Nika made me realize that a process that requires deliberate thought on her part was something that happened to me intuitively. Just as I acquired an American accent when I moved to the United States as a teenager, I also gained the ability to sound like a non-trans woman without specific training. Kathy Perez has worked with hundreds of trans women. Over the years, she found that there are many common misconceptions about developing a more feminine voice. And one of them is, if I just get soft, I'll sound more feminine. And usually my comeback to that is, I personally don't know very many soft women. Not that they don't exist, but soft isn't really the right um, ultimate idea. It is true that adjusting the loudness of the voice is a training strategy, but otherwise to sound kind of high and soft is, isn't really very expressive. The other one is that women just talk in an upswing. And so if women were to really just talk in an upswing, and I would always keep doing that, it would sound very artificial right about now. I've noticed that my acting training allows me to have a broad range of expression when it comes to my voice and how I use different voices for different occasions. For instance, I'm much more likely to use a high voice in a casual, California-inflected accent when talking to friends because it makes me seem more approachable and friendly. But sometimes, when I want to attract someone, I lower my voice and make it breathier. And of course, I'm currently using my neutral, authoritative, yet feminine voice, the one I've been using in professional situations for some time. What struck me most was Kathy's stories about how some of the trans women she works with have trouble expressing authority in their more feminine voices. Well, one in particular that comes to mind is a gal who is in the um, high-tech world. She had the opportunity to take a year off while she transitioned. Then when she went back into work, she did great with her voice, but as soon as she was back talking about work topics, she was a bit taken aback by how deep her voice got again. Hearing the story got me thinking about how we not only associate masculine and feminine voices as belonging to men and women, but we also think that low voices equate to power, while high voices are linked to weakness. This makes it tricky for trans women to keep their authority and modify their voices at the same time. But everywhere I went, I met people who challenged that stereotype. What has always been my strongest attribute, I think, is my voice. T. 
Sheila Love is a highly respected advocate for transgender rights in New Orleans. I think that my voice has developed layers. I think that all of the things that I have experienced have added to the layers of who I am and how I speak and um, how I articulate this experience. Sheila's low, confident voice expresses her trans history and also her own version of femininity. To me, she's a model for how trans women can assert their voices while still keeping their womanhood. The voices at the conference came in all forms. I met many women there who struggled with their voices, either because they were early in transition or they had accumulated so much male conditioning that it was hard for them to find their female voice. And I came away thinking about my own voice differently. I want to be able to use the deep recesses of my voice, the parts that have been in hiding, not only to express the part of my being that values my history, but also to assert that I can have this voice, this true voice, and still be a woman. And most importantly, I want my voice not only to help others understand me, but to help everyone to see that no matter who we are and how we sound, we deserve to be respected and valued for our own unique contributions to the world around us and the communities we hold dear. For Making Contact, I'm Meredith Toulousen. And that's it for this edition of Making Contact. If you want more information on any of the stories or music we've featured on this program, go to radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. I'm George Lavender. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.